This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. Building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. Skip down with me to chapter 2. Let's start reading in verse 8. Here's the conclusion of what Paul is saying. Just as, we, just as Jesus was raised from the dead, so are we. He said, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit. One translation says through philosophy and vain deceit. Instead of that, it says through religious teachings. Well, I think that one applies. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments or elements of the world and not after Christ. One translation says instead of rudiments, experience in the world. In other words, Paul, way back when, 2,000 years ago, recognized that the devil was trying to talk people out of who they were in Christ and what belonged to them. And he said, don't let anybody do that. The devil uses people through wrong teaching to try to keep you from taking hold of the place that you have in Christ. Keeps you from walking in the authority that's been given to you already. Don't let that happen. Well, if that warning was good then, wouldn't it be good now? I mean, if men were supposed to listen to what Paul said back then, shouldn't we listen to what he says about that now? I would submit to you that's the greatest attack against the church. teachings and doctrines of men that keep the church from standing and and operating in the place of authority that jesus has already won for us that's why the church is so weak broken down and has the appearance of being crippled when all the time we've got the power that raised jesus from the dead available to us and in us so he said don't let that happen for in him verse 9 dwelleth all the fullness of the godhead bodily For in him, and you're in him, dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Again, here's this word fullness or completeness. There's nothing missing. There's nothing lacking. Folks, that means that there's some area of the word that hasn't come to pass or come into reality for you and me. It's because one of two things is either because we haven't exercised our authority or because it's just a matter of our faith bringing it to pass. That's the only option. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. That means he's far above it or over it, doesn't it? And you're complete in him. So if he's the head and he's above all principality and power, where are you? Above all principality and power. That means you are already seated above every work that the devil is trying to bring against you in your life. That means it simply becomes a matter of taking and exercising authority. Standing in and operating in authority. In whom you are also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. In putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Buried with him in baptism wherein you also are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God. Who hath raised him from the dead. And you being once you were dead in your sins in the uncircumcision of your flesh. Hath he now quickened together with him having forgotten 
forgiven you all your trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. That's a lot of fancy King James English saying, you were dead and Jesus made you alive. You were buried with him in baptism. Now you're made alive with him through his resurrection. Verse 15. And having spoiled, because Jesus went to the cross, and having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. One translation says, in his resurrection. Triumphing over him in his resurrection. Now, the spoiling is a little different for us because we're not familiar with the culture that, of the day that this was written in. In Paul's day, there were kings of countries that would war against other kings and, and uh, the, the victorious king would spoil the other king and his army. In other words, they would strip them of all of their possessions, everything that they, everything that they owned, and including the boundaries or the territories of the lands in which they lived. So when it says Jesus spoiled principalities and powers, it literally means he stripped them of their authority. He took back not for himself. He doesn't need it. He's not here. But he took back everything that, G, that uh, Satan stole from Adam. He took back everything that makes the devil the god of this world for his body. Join Mike Webb and Foothill Family Church every Sunday night at 6 p.m. for our weekly healing school. Healing School is for those who are in need of being healed from sickness in their body, as well as those who want to strengthen their faith in the area of healing. Now, whatever somebody, you or me or somebody else might think of why Jesus healed the sick, Matthew eight seventeen tells us why he healed everybody that was sick. Jesus healed all that were sick, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. You're looking in the future for something to happen. You need to turn around and look behind you and what the Bible says has already happened. Because behind you is the cross. And on the cross, Jesus shed his blood for your sins, for your peace, literally your financial well-being, and your sickness. Foothill Family Church is in Orange County at the corner of Bake Parkway and Lake Forest Drive, just minutes off the 5 Freeway. To learn more about how you and your family can connect with Foothill Family Church, simply log on to mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. I mean, the Bible gives no wiggle room here, folks. The Bible is really, really clear about saying that we have all authority over the devil. And that doesn't mean the devil will obey you instantly. It doesn't mean that you can change things on, a, on the, you know, in a moment's notice. It doesn't mean that. Things still take time. It doesn't mean instant change. I, I, the first thing I heard about authority, I thought, oh, man, I can change things overnight. Well, overnight came and went. And then I was faced with the same thing that we're all faced with. Okay, what does this mean? Does this mean the word's not true? Or does it mean I haven't gotten a hold of it yet? Or does it mean there's more to it than I know? Well, I accepted the word was true. And so I stuck with that. And so the things that I wanted to happen overnight, some of them took a lot longer, but they still happened. They still worked. The authority was still exercised and the result was still gained. I think a lot of Christians, when they hear this message, they want authority for themselves selfishly so that they can run things the way they want them to be. I did. Might as well be honest about it. I did. I wanted to have more authority than the guy next door. 
I wanted to be able to run things the way I wanted them to go. Well, that's not the way it works. But I can have authority in my life over anything the devil's trying to do to disrupt God's plan for me. Can you see that? This is the message that really got me going. I was uh, saved when I was uh, six years old and uh, spent almost, no, well, about uh, 18 years, 17, 18 years, somewhere around there, as what I would consider or what I would call today a nominal Christian. I loved God, prayed, talked with him. I was always aware, since I got saved at a young age, I was always aware of God with me. I talked to him. He talked back to me. I didn't know that was supposed to be weird by the estimation of other nominal Christians. I thought everybody heard from God. I spoke to him. He spoke to me. I didn't get, there's no religious formality of prayer or anything like that. I talked to him like he was my friend, and he answered me like he was my friend. And so I, I just thought that was the way it's supposed to be. And, and folks, it is. That is the way it was supposed to be. I just hadn't learned yet that that's not the way that it works for everybody because of their, well, wrong teaching, whatever the case is. I had plenty of people try to talk me out of that as we win. But anyway, I spent 17 years or so going through the motions. The older I got, the more I was affected by my friends and peer pressure and stuff like that. And so I got into a lot of things I shouldn't have gotten into. I still avoided a lot of things that I'm glad that I did. But I still, you know, I got into involved in things that, that Christians shouldn't be involved in. And when I decided that I'd had enough, when I decided that they were paying those people in beer commercials to smile, And they are. When I, when I tried all the stuff that I thought was going to make me happy and it didn't. Then I decided, you know, I'm not happy with this. I'm not satisfied with this. Not only am I not happy by the things that I'm doing that everybody says will make you happy. You just join them in doing it. But now I'm dissatisfied inside too. There's still a longing on the inside because now I know I'm not right with God. So I'm not happy outside from the stuff I'm doing. And I'm not happy inside because of breaking fellowship with God. My heart's condemning me. So I just tried to cut things off. Well, I didn't know how. The, the church I grew up in, the, the denominational church I grew up in was wonderful at telling you what you shouldn't do. I mean, they had a lock on that. But they didn't know how to tell you. Uh, they didn't have the information on telling you how to do it. I would agree with them that we need to live a, 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 a holy and moral life. But how? Where's the power for that? That's what I struggled with. I struggled with it. And, and it was part of that struggle that got me into some of the wrong things that I got into. And it was the difficulty that I was having leaving those things off once I made the decision from the inside that I didn't want to live like that anymore. I still found myself doing a lot of things that I said I'm not going to do anymore. And I started getting a hold of a little bit of information. My mom got filled with the Holy Ghost. And so I became acquainted with Brother Hagen. I got his, uh, I think the first book of his I got was the book Redeemed. Redeemed from the curse of the law, redeemed from sickness, uh, poverty, uh, sickness and death, I guess is the title of it. And I went, that was the only book I had. And I went through that book over and over and over again. I mean, I wore that thing out. And I, I looked, at the, looked at every scripture. I looked at it in my Bible and my Bible read just like his did. And, uh, and, and I was shocked to find some of the scriptures that he pointed out because you know, I had gone through daily Bible reading plans in Sunday school and stuff like that to earn points, to win a prize and all that kind of stuff. And I'd never, I'd read over some of those same chapters that he referred to and never seen those scriptures. 
And so my eyes really started being open to some things, but I still had a lot of that stuff hanging on to my flesh. Wouldn't it be nice if you could just snap your fingers and do away with the problems of the flesh overnight? Well, that's not the way it worked for me. So there was a lot of things hanging on, but there was an opportunity that I had to go to a meeting that Brother Hagin had. I was living in Birmingham, Alabama, and he was going to be in Nashville, Tennessee. I'd never, I'd heard about Brother Hagin. I've read his book, but at that point in time, I'd never heard him on tape. But that one book made it seem to me like it was him and Jesus on the top of the pile and everybody else is way down below somewhere else, you know. Just hearing, reading the stories and, and stuff like that. So I heard about this and had a chance to go up there and, and uh, on somebody else's dime. That's the only way I could make it. And uh, so, uh, so I decided to go. Well, during this um, uh, four-day meeting, I guess it was, that he was holding in Nashville, it, uh, it was a real cold snap came through, unseasonal type thing, and it, and it snowed. And, uh, and so the, the attendance was terrible. People didn't come out and didn't attend the meeting, but we'd come from out of town and were staying right there next to the convention center or the meeting place. And so all we had to do was walk, you know, almost next door and, and go to the meeting. So it was a real, real small crowd, probably many more people than what was here today in this uh, auditorium. And it was a place that would see several thousand people, so it, it looked like the place was empty. And Brother Hagin taught on the authority of the believer. And man, that changed my life. And the thing that got it, I, the thing that really got me, I was hanging on to every word, but the thing that really got me was when he told a story about Brother Haynes. He said that when he was still pastoring, so it had to be before 1950, probably 1948, 1949, somewhere around there, he was still pastoring, pastoring the last church that he pastored. He had a Sunday school superintendent that was um, uh, called uh, Haynes. His last name was Haynes. Brother Haynes said, this guy was great. He said it was the first time that he ever really had a superintendent Sunday school superintendent that would that would call people and go visit them and do what needed to be done to to help boost attendance and stuff like that. Everybody else just had the title, and in years past and and didn't really do anything with it. Well, Brother Haynes worked in the oil fields, and um, uh, something happened. I'm not sure what the circumstances were, but something happened to where Brother Haynes fell down from a tower into the the pumping equipment, and by the time he got the call, the word was that Brother Haynes was dead. So he got there, and there were a bunch of people standing around, a bunch of the workers and so forth. His wife had, had just gotten there, and the doctor was uh, kneeling over where Brother Haynes was. So he went straight to uh, Brother Haynes on the ground, and they had him, you know, kind of covered up a little bit, and that type of thing. And so he knelt down next to the doctor, and, uh, and Brother Hagin said that he thought that he was dead. He looked dead. So he said to, said to the doctor, he said, is he dead? And the doctor said, no, he's not. He said, I thought he was. But he's still hanging on. But he, he can't make it. He said, so I need you, first and foremost, I need you to go comfort Sister Haynes. The doctor was familiar with the church and, and so forth and, and uh, wasn't a member there. But, you know, a small town, everybody knew each other. So he said, I need you to go talk to his wife, Mrs. Haynes. So Brother Hagin walked over to where Mrs. Haynes was. And she spoke up before he could say anything. She spoke up and she said, the doctor doesn't think Daddy's going to live, does he? He said, no, he doesn't. She said, isn't it good that you and I have got inside information? <laughs> now, folks, I've got to tell you, I think a lot of the things that happened from that point of time happened because of her position. Had that not been the position, they might not have gotten some of the results they got. So anyway, he said, yes, we do. He knew she was talking about inside information, information from inside the Bible. 
So he said, we'll agree and we'll hang on to it. So they agreed. 30 minutes went by. 45 minutes went by. The doctor still expecting him to die any second, but he hung on. And so the doctor said, I, I, don't, I can't explain it. I don't know why he's still alive. But he told Brother Hagen. Uh, Brother Hagen said, I think he knew that I had something to do with hanging on to him. He said, so here's what we're going to do. He said, I've done everything I can do for him out here in the field. He said, the nearest hospital is in Tyler, Texas, 30, 35 miles away, whatever it was. He said, we're going to put him in an ambulance and tell the ambulance driver to drive as fast as he can to get there. I'll do whatever I can to stabilize him and get him ready to go. He said, I'm afraid if we move him, he's going to kill him, but he keeps hanging on. So you ride in the ambulance with him, and we'll just get somebody there ahead of you and get the doctors waiting on you and the hospital ready to, to receive you, and you guys just get there as fast as possible. So that's what they did. Got to the hospital. The doctors worked on him. Once they got to the hospital, when he got there, his blood pressure was zero. After working on him for 45 minutes or so, they got his blood pressure up to 40. And, um, uh, and for the next three days and nights, Brother Hagen stayed there. Or the, three, the nights, he would stay there. He'd go back and forth to the home and change and shower and stuff like that during the day. But, but for the next three nights, he stayed there with uh, Brother Haynes. He was in a coma. The doctors couldn't explain what was going on. The doctor finally told him, he said, we don't know the extent of his injuries because we're afraid to even take him down to the x-ray. So we know that he's got a collapsed lung, but we don't know what extent the, the injuries he has are. And so anything that we do, any movement we make could kill him. So we're afraid to do anything with him. So they, were, they had him uh, in a private room. And they had a, a nurse designated to stay with him 24 hours a day. They would revolve the shifts and, and uh, have somebody there 24 hours a day. And Brother Hagin said the third night, he's been there three nights, sitting up with him all three nights. He said the third night he started falling asleep. He said as he fell asleep, the nurse came around the bed and brushed against him, going to check on him. And he, he startled him and he kind of woke up and he looked and he said he thought that, the, that Brother Haynes had died. And so he asked, he said, is he dead? And she said, well, I thought he was, but he's not. She said, Brother Hagen, I'm not supposed to tell you this, but he'll never make it till the morning. So Brother Hagen got up out of the chair where he was sitting and had napped in the room, walked out into the hallway, quiet, dead at night, nobody's moving around, 2 o'clock in the morning, something like that, you know. So he goes out in the hallway, and he said, and he said later, he said, I don't know what made me say it. He said, I must have been led by the Holy Ghost or something. He said, I don't know, but... He said, I just said, Lord, I'm not going to let him die. And then he said this. He said, first of all, he's 49 years of age. You promised us 70 or 80 years of life as a minimum. That was what Moses was complaining about, that people were dying at 70 and 80 years of age. He said he'd satisfy you with long life and show you salvation. So if you're not satisfied with 70 or 80, then go on for however many you want. But, it, but 70 or 80 is a minimum. So he said, he's only 49 years of age. He's too young to die. He said, secondly, he said, he's my Sunday school superintendent. He said, I need him. I'm the under shepherd. You're the chief shepherd. If what I need, you need. And I need him. He's the first one I've ever had that really did the job. I need him. And thirdly, death's an enemy. It's the last enemy. Physical death is the last enemy that will be put underfoot. But he said, death is an enemy. So I just rebuke this death and command him to live and not die. Well. He said, I didn't feel anything. Heaven didn't open. There's no earthquake. So he said, I went back into the room, sat down in that chair. He said, after about 30 or 40 minutes, I fell off to sleep again. I woke up and the nurse was rustling around the bed. He looked dead again. He asked again, is he dead? 
She said, no, but he's right at the point of death. So he got up out of the chair, went out into the hall, and did the same thing the second time. Third time, he went back into the room. Some little time later, he started falling off to sleep again. See, for whatever you think this means, he said, every time I fell off to sleep, I started losing it. See, something, folks, there's something about exercising spiritual force. You can't do that when you're asleep. So the third time he went out and said the same thing, exactly the same thing. I'm not going to let him die. Well, the next morning, 8 o'clock in the morning, something like that, the doctor showed up, came in, checked him, and got, was startled, just absolutely startled. He said, looked at Brother Hagin with a shocked look and said, well, he's come out of it. I don't understand it, but he's been in shock all these three days. We haven't been able to get him out of shock. And that was what was making us, you know, believe that he wouldn't make it, could go at any any moment. He said, but he's come out of it. We don't know what's going on, but he, he's come out of it. Nurse, let's get him down to x-ray. Let's find out what the problem is. He looks back to Brother Hagin and said, he might make it now. Brother Hagin said something on the inside of him was doing handstands. He's thinking, might make it nothing. We got him now. So they did the x-rays. They found out what was wrong with him, what internal injuries he had, and so forth. One of the things that was wrong with him was he had shattered his elbow. Uh, the x-ray showed that his elbow was in, shattered into like a thousand pieces. And the doctors told him later, he said, you know, we knew you'd never have the use of that elbow again. And we didn't know if you'd want it straight or if you'd want it bent. So we just put it in a bent position, figured you could use your shoulder and move it around some way or another. So anyway, we put it in a... In a uh, bent position like this wrapped it up so that it would uh, it, it will stiffen up you won't be able to move it in any way whatsoever but we figured you'd be, be happier with it like that than than anything else well after he was healed he could move his elbow all around he said that the oil company that he worked for paid him twenty five hundred dollars for the loss of the use of that elbow and him standing there saying but i can use it see i can do this <laughs> but the x-ray years later the x-ray still showed that his his elbow was in uh, uh, just shattered in a thousand pieces well, that's not healing. That's a continuous miracle. He even had a, had a conflict. He said, well, Brother Hagin, should I take the $2,500? And they said, you know, the, the explanation was I can use the elbow. I haven't lost the use of it, so I'd be taking the money under false pretenses. Their response was, yeah, but we go by the doctor's report. Doctor's report says you'll never use your elbow again. So Brother Hagin said, well, they're going by the report. Everybody's doing their job. Just take the money and thank God. So here was a, this was part of the story that uh, the things really got interesting and really gr- grabbed hold of me. Brother Hagin said that after uh, some time, you know, there was still a recuperating process. He didn't walk out of the hospital overnight or anything like that. He said there was a recovery time. So some weeks later, when he got back to church, he stood up and, and uh, talked to the church and wanted to thank everybody for praying for him. He said, you know, the, your prayers really mean a lot to me. I appreciate everybody that did everything that they did for my wife and, and so forth. And then he said this. He said, uh, he said uh, don't ever feel sorry for somebody that dies that's saved. He said, I have no knowledge of, of uh, last thing I remember is falling. He said, I have no knowledge of hitting the equipment. I have no knowledge of any, anything that happened from that point in time. He said, I, I just simply woke up in the, in the hospital when it was all done. And he said this. He said, but apparently... While I was in the hospital, I died. He said, because I, I, I went to heaven. And he said, I saw Jesus. I heard the choir of angels singing. Oh, what a beautiful sound. Nothing like you've ever heard in your life. He said, I saw things that, that could only be heaven. And Jesus started walking up to me. And he said, I was just about to fall down at his feet and tell him how much I love him. And he said, and Jesus said, 
you'll have to go back. And he said, but Lord, I don't want to go back. He said, now loved ones that go to heaven that, that are saved. Well, you can't go to heaven unless you're saved, but you know what I mean. Loved ones that are saved, don't feel sorry for them. They wouldn't come back if they could. He said, you don't want to come back. It's so wonderful. He said, you don't think about anything that you left. You don't even think about the people you left behind. You just look forward to them joining you there. Don't worry about people that have gone on in the Lord. So he said, I was just about to fall down and tell him how much I loved him. And he said, you'll have to go back. He said, but Lord, I don't want to go back. He said, he said the second time, but you'll have to go back. He said, Brother Haynes said the, th- the second time, but Lord, I don't want to go back. And then the third time Jesus said, but you'll have to go back. You'll have to go back to the earth. And then he said, uh, Brother Haynes said the third time, he said, but I don't want to go back. And he said, well, you'll have to. He said, Brother Hagin won't let you come. <laughs> and Brother Haynes said that, that when Jesus said that, he said it was like he reached around behind him and pulled back a, a sheer curtain. And he could hear Brother Hagin's words say, Lord, I'm not going to let him go. Now, Brother Hagin hadn't told that to another living soul. He was in, Brother Haynes was in a coma when Brother Hagin said that under his breath, whispering out in the hallway. He said, if you'd, been able, if you'd been standing right beside me, you wouldn't have heard me say it. You, you might have been able to tell I was whispering, but you wouldn't have known what I said. He said, that had to be from the Lord. That had to be something that happened, a spiritual experience that happened. He said, because nobody knew. And he said, Brother, the Lord told him, Brother Hagin won't let you come. He said, the next thing I knew, Brother Haynes said, the next thing I knew, I woke up in the hospital. That'll get your juices flowing, won't it? That's what turned things around for me. That's what gave me the determination that I was going to push through and let those things of the earth and things of the flesh fall off of me. Because that's how much authority means to me. There's a place, uh, and, and I know exactly what's happening on the inside of you if you're paying attention. If you care about the things of God and if you're paying attention, I know exactly what happens to you when you hear that story. That's what happened to me. Because God created you to have dominion. God created you to have dominion. And so there's something on the inside of man that cries out for that restored dominion that he lost in the Garden of Eden. But if we're going to use authority and exercise authority effectively, we're going to have to be mature. We're going to have to recognize that even though we may have authority to operate in certain situations, we need to get the plan and the purpose of God in mind. The Bible says God raised Jesus to his right hand far above all principality and power and might and dominion and gave him to be the head to the church over all things. All things include death. I'm using that as an example just because if we've got authority there, where wouldn't we have authority? Not that that's the only place to use it or even the most important place to use it. In my case, it was not. But Jesus was given authority over all things. And he delivered that authority to his church. One of the great unknowns in the church world is the authority that Jesus delivered to the church. He gave us authority in His name over sin, sickness, poverty, and every aspect of spiritual death. 
He's seated at the right hand of God as the proof that we have that authority in His name. Thanks for watching today. Come visit us at Foothill Family Church. This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. Spiritual forces aren't exercised by physical action. Spiritual forces are exercised by words. Join us Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. or Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Visit us online at mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word.